Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter number 1, verse number 13. The Apostle Paul speaking to Timothy says, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. This thou knowest that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes the Lord giveth, give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain amen and I, I'm, I'm, I got a lot of scripture tonight and I, I hope I, I don't know if I can preach all of this tonight um, I'll try I got enough scripture to cause a new convert go away bleeding. I'm telling you right now. Second Timothy here. I would like to minister along this subject. Just two words. Very simple. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Lord Jesus, I come to you right now. I'm asking God for your help. Lord, I'm in need of it this evening. Touch my mind and my body. Help me, O oh Lord Jesus, to adequately, Lord Jesus, share the word of the Lord. Help it, God, to go forward. Help it, Lord Jesus, to find some place. I'm thankful, Lord, for your spirit that I feel. God, that breathed, Lord, through here, that wind that blew through here. I pray, God, that it would continue to do so. God, through the preaching of your word, help us tonight, God, to grasp a hold, Lord, of the concepts and the ideas, Lord, that are relayed here in Scripture. And we'll thank you, we'll love you, and appreciate you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen, amen. Shake someone's hand right near to you if you can before you're seated tonight. Look at your neighbor and tell them, follow me. Follow me. Paul is writing to his uh, protege, Timothy. Paul describes him as his son in the gospel on various accounts throughout the New Testament scripture. Paul is the mentor and Timothy is the mentee. Paul is the leader and Timothy is the follower. Timothy oftentimes in scripture is painted in this teacher-student uh, relationship with the apostle Paul and he should be. We know from scripture that although his mother was a Jewess, the Bible says, and that the history on his mother's side, they had this history of unfeigned faith went back even to his mom's mom or his grandmother. We learn and know all of that, but the Bible tells us that Timothy's father was a Greek. And so there are certain aspects of that Greek culture from his father's side that would need to be abandoned as Timothy uh, initiates his life in the gospel, life lived for the Lord. There's a certain element of that Greek side from his daddy's uh, side that would need to be unlearned, so to speak. And with that being said, Timothy needed an example to follow. He needed a male figure that he could emulate 
and that he could pattern his life after. He needed a role model for this aspect of his Christian life because his dad was a Greek. He needed somebody that he could look to for some guidance, some encouragement, some uh, direction from time to time. And so the Apostle Paul rose to the occasion as we often see him do throughout the scriptures. Uh, he regularly at different times invited people even beyond the realm of Timothy invited people to be imitators of him or followers of him. If I may just go through a few scriptures to point that out uh, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4, 16. He spoke to them and he said, Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Some fresh converts to the Corinthian church. He was telling them, if you need guidance, if you need direction, he said, then just follow me. He, he further classified or further defined that in 1 Corinthians 11 and 1. Again, speaking to the Corinthian church, he said, be ye followers of me or imitators, if you will, of me, even as I also am of Christ. So he wanted them to know they weren't just following him as a man per se, but as a man that was following God. In Ephesians 5 and 1, as Paul was writing, he, he admonishes the Ephesians or those of the Ephesian church. He said, be therefore followers of God as dear children. So we start to see some of the things that come together. Paul's saying, follow me, but based only on the premise that I'm following God. In other places of Scripture, he tells the new converts to follow God because when he asks them to follow him, that's in essence what he's asking them to do, to follow the God that he is following. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, he spoke and said, ye became followers of us, no doubt speaking of himself and some other of his companions and of the Lord. And so now he groups these two together, followers of me and of the Lord. First Thessalonians 2, I got a scripture, 2.14, the Bible says to the Thessalonian church, for ye, brethren, became followers, look at this now, of the churches of God. So he's saying, follow me. He's saying, follow God. He's saying, follow us and me. He's saying, you became followers of the churches of God. And then he further defines those churches of God, those which in Judea, more particularly this phrase, are in Christ Jesus. So follow the churches of God that are in Christ Jesus. He hones in on the type of churches one should follow. In Hebrews 6.12, he says that you be not slothful. He said, but followers of them, them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Here, the writer is saying, follow those who were the inheritors of the promise. Going back to Father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, some of them had owed through the scripture. So first and foremost that we learn the apostle Paul outside of himself saying follow me or follow the church or, or, or follow uh, those uh, that are written in the scriptures such as Abraham those who were inheritors of the promise first and foremost we must and should be followers of God can someone say amen Paul was telling them even if you're following me only follow me if I'm following God only follow me if I'm following Christ Jesus, because following a godless man will result in godless ways. Following a godless man will result in godless paths. Furthermore, ladies and gentlemen, he said, follow the churches of God that are in Christ Jesus. Following a godless church will result in the same. Amen. 
Uh, it's not that you, he said you just pick any old church, but you pick a church that's in Christ. You pick a church that's teaching the doctrines, uh, amen, of the word of God. Those are the type of churches. If you're going to follow, you follow. But if the church deter, deters or wavers away from who and what God is characterized at, then you need to find yourself another church. Because that's a church that evidently is not following God. Can someone say Amen. He says, follow those people that are inheritors of the promise because good reason tells me this. If they were inheritors of the promise, then patterning my life in a like similar manner as they had their lives should guarantee for me the same to be an inheritor of the promise. And so much of our Christian life today, folks, isn't so much that we're forging new paths in Christendom it's not that we're forging new paths, but we're just walking in the footprints of those who have gone on before us. Amen. We're following leaders. We're following men who follow God. We're following inheritors of the promise who were followers of God. Abraham said that he was going and looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. He was on a journey, but it was a God journey. It, it was a God path, and he became an inheritor of the promise because ultimately he was a follower of God can someone say amen and so he tells us then that we should follow amen these type of individuals people churches people of old that are followers of God but whenever Christ Jesus ascended from this earth and his earthly ministry was over the world could not any longer in a literal sense follow after Christ in a literal sense, that was now lost. They could only follow the spirit and the soul that he left in his teaching, through his teaching, and in the lives of those that he invested in. Amen. Churches, for example, follow the mandates of their leaders, the leaders of uh, those particular churches, but they should be following God, or at least the teachings of Christ Jesus and the disciples that literally followed the Lord. The disciples literally followed the Lord. The Bible says that, that the, the church is built upon Christ Jesus being the chief cornerstone and upon the prophets and the apostles. And so our name first, apostolic church, apostolic is derived from the word apostle. We believe in purporting, amen, what the apostles taught because they were taught by Christ. And so as they followed him, we followed them. Amen. And therefore we are apostolic because we're following someone who followed God or to break out the middleman, we're people who are following Christ. Can someone say amen? The only way that there's ever a breakdown in that hierarchy of following God is whenever you introduce the human element into the factor. Because not every soul that started out following the Lord ends following the Lord. Not every church that started out right and true with the apostles' doctrine continue in the apostles' doctrine. The Bible tells me in the Old Testament, you can get this formula, I'm not quite there, but they're kind of going on the fly tonight. Judges 7 and verse 16 starting, I'll read a few verses. The Bible speaks that Gideon had an encounter with God. 
The Bible says that he had already settled the issue about his doubts. He had already settled the issue about his fears concerning the Lord. Amen. And the Lord's ability. He left the pagan God of his fathers. The Bible says that he broke down the altar of his father, which was to a pagan deity. He had already broke that down. And then he erected an altar unto the Lord his God. And after he settled all these issues of his doubts, his fears, ridding his life of the God of his father, erecting an altar to his God, the Bible says it is then that he shared his plan for his people's victory over seven years of oppression from the Midianites. If I may read to you Judges chapter 7 and verse 16, the Bible states these words. And he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, look now, look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. When I blow with the trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Gideon says, after I settled my issue with God of where I doubted him, where I feared him, where I put away the false altars in my life and built an altar unto God, Whenever I got all those things in proper conduct in order, then I spoke to the people, do like I do and follow my lead. Follow me, if you will. Why, Gideon, did you do that? Because I wouldn't have been able to ask you to do that prior to me getting my house in order, prior to me getting my issues and conflicts all settled with. He said, but now that I got all these things in order, I'm asking you to do as I have done. Look on me and do likewise. Why, Gideon? Because I've had a, a genuine encounter with God. And so based upon that encounter I've had with God, of following God, look on me and do likewise. The human element. The human element. Just two chapters later in Judges. Judges chapter number nine. The human element, amen, has the ability of corrupting the pattern. The human element has the ability of corrupting, if you will, amen, the way in which we should live our life. The Bible says Abimelech, which was the son of Gideon, he cries out as a leader in Judges 9, 48. He cries out as a leader to those that are following him. And he basically says the very same thing that his father had said. Do as I have done. Amen. As a matter of fact, the latter portion there of verse 48, he says, what ye have seen me do, make haste and do as I have done. But ladies and gentlemen, here Gideon, son of Bimelech, is saying the exact same thing that his daddy said, but not with the same convictions that his father had. This is in a negative context that his son is speaking these words. He's asking them to do something that was not right. 
that was not proper, that was not godly, that was not sanctioned by the hand of God. Folks, this is the power of a leader and the power of a follower relationship when it comes to man and mankind. It's a commendable thing for a leader to say, do as I do, as long as whatever they ask you to do corresponds with God and corresponds with God's word. You can say the same thing, but if you don't have the same conviction, convictions, then it is altogether different. Someone say amen. That's the reason why I believe the apostle Paul could come to the forefront in his day in Philippians 4, 9. And Paul then tells the Philippian believers, he says, look at the wording here in Philippians 4, 9. Thank you, Brother Andrew. The Bible states these words. Look what the apostle says to these Philippian believers. He says, those things which ye have both learned, look now, and received and heard and seen and I've not done this in a closet somewhere. This has not been private devotion or dedication. I live this before you publicly. What you have seen, what you have heard, what you have received in me, he says, do. I know you're new starting converts and believers in the Thessalonica church. He says, but if you see me do it, you can do it. If you've heard me talk about it, then go forward with it. Why? Because Paul had an encounter with God. He's saying, follow me as I follow Christ. And so just as Gideon's experience with God was the basis which he could call the rest of the people to follow him, likewise with the Apostle Paul. 1 Timothy 1.16, from the pen of Paul flows these words as well. 1 Timothy 1.16, he said, How be it for this cause, he said, I obtained mercy. Listen to him. That in me first, Jesus Christ might shoot forth all long suffering. Why, Paul? For a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. God did this in me first so I could be a leader of others. He did this in me first so I could be a pattern that others could be cut from because I'm cut from the master pattern. He did in this me first so others that might follow. The word pattern here is the same Greek word used in our text in verse number 13 translated also as form or translated in other places as in samples. Listen now. This word means form, sketch, or imperfect delineation in other words kind of like an outline it refers to an outline or a model that might be used by an artist it means the writer's rough draft which forms the basis of the fuller exposition of writing or a pattern by which one can maintain the sameness of a thing without which the original work would be corrupted or distorted over time. He said it's a rough draft. He said, but based upon the premise of the rough draft, the full exposition will be put together. He says it, it's, just, it's, it's, it's a thing that maintains the sameness of a thing just in case that the original work is distorted. God has not left in his earth 
amen, us without patterns, us without forms. Because let me tell you, there's been a lot of distortion of the original work. There's been a lot of distorting of the original work. Amen. Through men and the human element. A lot of distorting of the original work. But he's left some patterns in the earth. Amen. That people can look to and look after. Amen. And if they'll be open and honest with themselves when they read the scriptures, they might be able to see past all the confusion of the distortion that the world has placed there. But in 2 Timothy 1 verse 13, if I can just read that again in the Amplified Bible, just a phrase. He said, hold fast and follow the pattern of wholesome and sound teaching which you've heard from me. In the New American Standard Bible, he said, retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me. In the New Living Translation, he said, hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learn from me. Paul, in speaking to Timothy, his mentee, he's the mentor, his follower, he's the leader, rather than just saying, hold fast, to sound words, he says, hold fast to the form of sound words. This form of sound words was heard according to the scripture of Paul. Furthermore, he said the way that these, this form was to be held fast was in faith and in love. In verse 14, he goes on and says that good thing going back and describing once again the form again. He said that good thing, it was committed unto you, Timothy. It's been committed to your care. It's been committed to your charge. And other instruction is given to Timothy on how to keep the form. He said you keep it by the Holy Ghost that dwells in you. He says you'll keep the form or the pattern or the example correct by the Holy Ghost. If there's ever a time that the pattern loses its original intent, it's because somebody has not kept the Holy Ghost. Somebody's flirting around with a compromising spirit. It will every day skew what the form was intended to be and what it was intended to do. And it seems like while Paul is telling Timothy all these things, he said, hold fast. But while he's doing that, his mind is walking down memory lane and he begins to think of some of those that didn't keep the form and he thinks of some of those who did keep the form. He says in verse 15, he says, all Asia has turned away. There's some people that didn't keep the form. He, a matter of fact, named two of them in particular by jealous and Hermonides. I probably said that wrong because I wasn't concentrating much on it, but who cares? There were two people, amen, in particular that he named that turned away. Now listen, folks, these are the only two people, the only time that we ever have their names recorded in Scripture. This is the only place you'll find them. The only place these two names are mentioned in Scripture. And let me say this, it's a sad thing when the only record made of a man and the only evidence which we have that he even ever existed or lived is in that he turned away and forsook the paths of God. What a way to be remembered. The only way that you knew their existence ever patterned upon the earth is because they betrayed that which was holy, sacred, and true. And he says in verse 16 though, contrary to those Onesiphorus did 
not. Now look, can we go to 2 Timothy 1.12? I know this is a bunch of scripture. I got a lot more. We're not done yet, folks. Amen. But 2 Timothy 1.12, before he started this spill to Timothy about holding fast to the form and all these things, he said, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. So in verse 12, before he talks about holding fast to all of this stuff, to the form of sound words, basically the teachings, what Timothy has heard, seen, and been taught, and seen in the life of Paul. Amen. Paul says, I know in whom I believe. And without doubt, he probably believed the same, that Timothy was also convinced, amen, in whom he had believed. But with caution. He says, Timothy, not only do you know, need to know who you believe, you need to know what you believe. Because the tenor of society is this. They want to gather us all under the umbrella of the whom and have a sacrifice or be moved from the what. We all believe God. We all believe in Jesus gathering you under the whom for you to forget the what. You don't even only need to know who you believe. You need to know what you believe. Someone say amen. We must both know whom and what. We believe. So the expectations of Paul the expectations he would have of Timothy would be nothing less than what Christ had expected of his disciples or his followers. Paul seemingly superimposed upon Timothy would be nothing less than what Christ superimposed upon his disciples. And so the question begs, what did Christ expect? of his followers, of his disciples. The Bible tells us in Matthew 4, and I'm just relating, referencing that. The Bible tells us in Matthew 4 that Christ went out. He was calling disciples or followers to him. A good majority of the people that he called were fishers. He called them to follow him, to be his disciples. And we read in Matthew 4 that whenever they received the call to follow the pattern, follow, if you will, the example, follow the Lord. The Bible says these fishers, and it denoted they were fishers, that there were some of them that left nets, there were some of them that left ships, and some of them that left family, all for the purpose of following the Lord. See, there's a generational deception today that it will take less today than what it took then. That the cost today isn't as much as what it cost then. Fishers leaving their nets, leaving their boats, leaving their family 
Folks, what that meant in order for them to follow him, it meant leaving some things and some people that they were very familiar with, that they were around every day. Listen to me, folks. It is not any less now than what it was then. It was things that they were accustomed to, things that they rubbed shoulders with, things that they had affections for. But in order to follow him, it meant letting the nets go, letting the ship go. And if by all means, if the family's going to hinder me from my following, I'm going to have to... See, many times things and people we have grown comfortable with in our lives got to be sidelined in order to properly follow him. You say that's a tall order. Well, it's an order, amen, that Christ himself gave. In Matthew 19, 21, Brother Andrew, Matthew 19, 21, the Bible says this. This is the story of the young rich man that came to the Lord. Jesus said unto him, if that will be perfect, go and sell that thou hast. Give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, follow, and follow me. The young rich man, Matthew 19. Listen, if you read the story concerning this in Matthew 19, this young man has kept all of the commandments. From his youth up, he has kept all of his commandments. I can say to a certain degree, he was a respectable young man. As a matter of fact, I believe, Brother Mason, that he would have followed the Lord as the Lord invited him to do. He would have followed him. I mean, he already followed the commandments. He already had kept all the commandments of the Lord. Listen to me. But this young man, his problem wasn't one of following, but of leaving. He could follow commandments. He could follow laws. He could follow guidelines. But he couldn't leave his former life. His problem wasn't following. His problem was leaving. He wanted to maintain the dual lifestyle of follow the Lord when it's necessary, but follow my own designs otherwise whenever it's not necessary. Do whatever I can to be with God and with the church, but still do whatever I can be to be attached to my former lifestyle and who I once was. Jesus told him, one thing you lack, it's not your following ability, it's your leaving ability. The leaving part was difficult for this man. But the true sense for following was made plain from the Lord here. He says, if you're truly going to follow me, it must be on my terms and not your terms. We're not in a state of negotiation with God in our relationship with him. We're not making a contract and asking God to sign his name. He's already made the contract. He's just asking for us to adopt it. It's not on our terms. It's on his terms. The true sense of following. And what that means is sometimes you've got to leave other things behind. Because in this same setting of Matthew 19 and verse 27, Peter and all the disciples learned of this little exchange between this and the young rich man. And Peter just blows his mouth open and then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we, we, who, we, your disciples, we, your followers, have forsaken all. 
I like it because at different portions in Scripture, it portrays it as forsaking all. And like in Matthew 4, it gives the details of the particular things they forsook because those things that were very dear to those fishermen. So all's kind of a general thing. Matthew 4 gets very detailed, letting us know how close and nigh that was to that individual's life. See, for me to step there and say forsake all, you, that's subject to interpretation. You'll start deciding what that all means. But whenever we start naming stuff about nets, boats, that, that narrows in the focus. That's getting a little bit more detailed. And Peter says, for we've forsaken all and follow thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, he shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. That's something that will happen in the last day. We've already spoke a little bit about in the book of Revelation. Verse 29, and everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my namesake shall receive a hundredfold. Comparing Scripture with Scripture, in Mark 10, he says, Now is this time for you to receive the hundredfold. In Luke 18, he said, A manifold more in this present time. So he's not just speaking about something in the future. He's talking about something for the now. In other words, he's saying, If you've forsaken some things, you're not going to forsake anything that you won't gain in value and worth on this side. Whatever the nets, boats, and all that, whatever value and worth they had for you there, he says, I got something of similar worth and value and probably even better for you here. You shall receive a hundredfold and to put the cherry on top of the little cream, he said, you shall inherit everlasting life, all eternal life in the future. So not only will you get something today, you'll have something to look forward to in your tomorrow. Because right now, the way you're living, all you got to look forward to is your day, your today, and nothing concerning the future. He said, but the way I operate, you got something to look forward to today and tomorrow and tomorrow. And to oh, someone say hallelujah. And so we got to adopt a little bit of the mentality of the scribe that approached the Lord and said, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Folks, it must be more than a platitude. It must be more than lip service. It must become our mantra. It must become something that is lived out in our individual lives. Follow him. You will have to be willing to follow him blindly sometimes. You will not know at every turn why he's leading you a certain way. Or a certain direction. But just trust the one you're following. Jesus entered a ship in Matthew 8. And the Bible says, and his disciples followed him. In part, that's what disciples do. They are followers. But in doing so, in following him as he entered the ship, they subjected themselves to a horrible storm that was upon the sea that Christ took control of. Well, you're saying, Pastor, I'm saying this. Rest assured, if you follow him, even if it's on a boat that is predestined for a storm, that if he got you into some dire straits, he's going to control the situation as well. But you better keep up following him. 
I don't know what's ahead of me. I don't know why he's doing this. I don't know why we're headed this direction. It's not for you to know, but understand if it gets a little bumpy, he'll take care of it. Follow him. Mark 10, 32. Mark 10, 32. There's a phrase there. It says, as they followed Jesus, that is. They followed Jesus, they were afraid. Now look at the phrase before that. The phrase before that says that Jesus went before them and they were amazed. In the, in the same verse, he's before them, he's leading them, they're amazed, they're following after him and they are afraid. Because these two items are the summation of following the Lord. Amazement and fear. Someone listen to me right there. There is an ebb and flow at times of being amazed and being afraid in your pursuit of God. Don't you think for a moment that there was a certain side to Abraham that was afraid as he traversed up Mount Moriah with his only begotten son next to him the one in whom was bound all the promises of God for Abraham and his family, bound up in Isaac. And God saying, you take that boy's life on Mount Moriah. Sure, I know scripture relates to us, a certainty of confidence. But folks, I guarantee you, being a father, being attached to this network and fabric of humanity, there was also fear of the unknown in that daddy's head. There was fear of the unknown in that daddy's eyes no matter how confident he may have felt. And he didn't know, listen, he didn't know how God was going to accomplish what God was going to accomplish. He didn't know how he was going to be able to slay his boy and God still keep the promises intact for him and his family. But Bishop, whenever God provided the ram and the thicket, his fears turned into amazement. Amen. Following God sometimes is nothing more but a roller coaster ride of fear and amazement fear and amazement so if you're standing in the shadows of fear today hold on keep following the Lord because he's going to amaze you just around the corner follow him brother Terry there might be an element of fear right now but God's going to amaze you before it's all over brother Fred you might be dealing with some fear right now but God is going to amaze you if you'll just follow Mm -mm -mm -mm. 
Listen, you can be de deterred sometimes. Get off track where the feelings of fear and afraidness enters your life. And some people will just go on and start to discount that. This can't be God. This can't be taking place because of the fear that I'm feeling. And I'm afraid right now. You need to hold on. If you've been following the Lord, don't, 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 don't. By no means misinterpret the fear or the afraidness because what he is setting you up for is amazement. I'm telling you folks God is in this place right now I feel him in a supernatural way I don't know what he's doing out there but I feel he's doing something right here God is in the amazing business if we can just be true to following him hold fast to the farm Luke 9, 59. Luke 9, 59. A few verses. And he said unto another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go, bear, go and bury my father. He said unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell which are at home at my house Jesus said unto him no man hadn't put his hand to the plow looking back is fit for the kingdom of God so now here's a group of people that he asked to follow him and their reply is I will but I will but first now, there is a whole lot messed up just in that phrase right there. The Lord says follow. Their response is, I will but first. Do you not understand that whenever he beckons you to follow, he's wanting to be the first? But their response is, I will but let me first look now, bury my dead or another one. Bid farewell to those that are at home in my house. For these people, there will always seem to be something else they need to attend to or do, and then they'll follow the Lord. I've heard it. Brother McGee, if you'll just allow me to get, I got a few things that I just need to get in order. Then I'll follow God. Then I'll be at church. Then, then I'll be dedicated, involved, like I need involved. But first, let me just handle a few things. Honey, you got this, this, this cart before the horse. Don't you understand when you get him first? All these other things you're talking about. Out of, out of alignment starts coming into alignment. But you're one to handle the heavy work first and then give your leftovers to God. These people always want to attend to something else, do something else, and then they'll follow the Lord. As soon as I get this one thing in order, as soon as this happens, I will follow the Lord. Now follow me here. Follow me here in the Word. 
Now listen. I'll go with the second one first, the one that wanted to bid farewell to those that are in the house. So there were some of them that went back, listen to me, to bid farewell to things that were familiar to them. Lord, I can't depart from them on your terms. I need some proper closure with the things in my house. I got to say my last goodbyes. I tell you what, I feel like getting up in the rafters and preaching tonight. What they had problem with is letting go of the final embrace. Things of the old life, they know it's the final embrace, so they're not letting go quite yet because they know when they get let go, they're not going back to the things of their house. So God, I can't leave that right now. I gotta have one last embrace. The thing is, you're gonna cause that embrace to last through all eternity if you don't learn to leave and let go. Gotta bid, bid farewell to that at my house. And you know, these things I'm familiar with got close to, near to me. They're part of my everyday life. But then secondly, what he mentioned actually first, but I reversed it. Secondly, they said we need to go bury, bury our dad, go bury our father. Now listen, I'm preaching in spiritual context here. Christ knew that there would always be something else that needed to be buried in our lives. If we had to put our relationship with him on hold and our following on hold, Every time a new funeral evolved in our lives. Things that we said, you're now dead to me. Someone listening to me right now. In the realm of the spirit. Those things that you have said, you're dead to me. If we had to put our Christian life and following God on hold. Every time there was another funeral involved. Our lives wouldn't get anywhere. Because listen. Listen to pastor tonight because when you bury your dead in the graveyard, it is memorializing it for the future. Somebody hear the statement I just made. Whenever you take the corpse, let's take it literally, of a loved one out to the graveyard, you put it in the ground, you place a monument there because you want it to be remembered for the future. He says, whenever you go bury your dead, whenever those things have become dead in your life that you need to get rid of, if we're going to pause every time for you to bury them, all you're doing is erecting a monument to memorialize that for some future time in your life, that preadventure you ever need to go back to. Said so you're... My- Because if you put a monument over everything that's died in your life, it's going to somehow hinder your spiritual journey because you have a tendency to go back to that place every now and then and pay your respects. What he's saying is you don't need a point of origin that you can go back to and pay your respects over that which has died in your life. I don't do this. I don't usually do this. Usually is the key word. 
blame it on Brother Mason. He's teaching on Sunday mornings. I'm just trying to fill in the blanks here. Listen to me. Back to our scripture setting. 2 Timothy chapter number, chapter number 1. There's a principle I wish to share with you. It's reversed, though, in Scripture. But I'll share with you what the principle is and then how this is reversed in Scripture. There's a principle in architecture and building. The principle is this, that the shape of a building or an object should be primarily based upon its intended function or purpose. The, the actual principle is this, is that form follows function. It's an old design concept in architecture. Form follows function. It means that the form or the shape of a building or structure or design follows, or if you will, is secondary to the function of the building or the edifice. In other words, if the building is to be used as a hospital, that's its function, then the form, the shape... The layout of the building will be complementary and adapting to the function, to a hospital. However, listen, in Scripture, it's reversed. Function follows form. In other words, naturally, if you design and shape a building that would be conducive to the layout if you will, the operation of a firehouse, <laughs> if that was it, then you have restricted its possible functions. If you built a building that would look like had, had everything that was necessary for a firehouse, then that, that, that form right there would regulate what could function in that building. Its function would be regulated by its form. Paul! wanted Timothy to hold fast to the form because in doing so, it would keep intact the function. He says if we keep the form where it needs to be, we won't have to worry about the activity because it will be designed with only one purpose in mind. Its function is going to be whatever it needs to be to be pleasing to God. And nothing else can function in this thing that has this type of form. Now the world that we live in is a world that likes to build the, the form around what they want and what they desire and how they want to live. Amen. They want to build the form around their already created, driven in deep furrows, a function of life. That's the reason they want a church that fits them. They want a God that fits them. I'm not going there because I don't, I don't feel comfortable at that church. Let me tell you, if you start feeling comfortable at a church, you need to change churches because God every once in a while is going to get in your crawl and give you a little course correction. But they, they, want, they want to build the form around what they want, what they desire, how they choose to live. But Paul echoes from the pages of Scripture and says, hey, you have heard my words. And they provide a pattern. They provide a standard. And only the functions that harmonize with the form, only the functions and activities that harmonize with the example will be capable of happening as long as you keep the form intact.
Case in point, no, I'm, I'm running toward Andy. Now, well, I'll get there before midnight. <sighs> Scripture speaks about to have a form of godliness. Now, just walk with me. And deny the power thereof. Now, that's to have the form, but miss that it, the form, manages the function. Whether they are restrictive, permissive, whatever you want to label or categorize them. And we've made mention of this before. But haven't, have you ever used a tool or something, amen, for one purpose other than what it was designed to be used for? Now, you and several other people have done the same. And it's the reason why they have a lot of the warning labels they do on some of the stuff we buy that we think is idiotic. Because people have used things, have used forms that were not compatible to the function they were trying to use them for. For instance, just walk with me. The power, if I could call it that, or the function behind a can of hairspray. The form is that it's a suitable, and I say this with all, all delicacy, it is a suitable adhesive. Listen, I grew up in a household of four girls. Son, we didn't have no ozone in our house. And back then, as high as they stacked it like Babel did, you had to have something to keep that together. But the function behind the form is that it's a suitable adhesive for keeping the hair in place. Now, the form might be a can of hairspray, but the function or the power is keeping your hair in place. But the power or the function of the can of hairspray, the form is denied whenever we start to use it for other things like lighter fluid, light the cold grills, you know, starter log for our fires. Having a form, but denying the power. What is it? I want the form, but I don't want the functionality and activity that goes with. I want to be the family, the American dream, have a boy, have a girl, whatever, and we go to church, have the form, have that social community activity of going to church, saying that we've been there because we can talk about that with other people, how we're church people, and you live in a religious area, you're here, so if you probably not go to church, you know it's real bad living here because everybody's religious. So we go to church, we got a form, but you don't want to have nothing to do with the power or the functionality that's associated with the form. But I learned tonight, if I'm going to follow him, it means I'm going to leave some things. If I'm going to follow him, it means that I can't memorialize everything in my past. If I'm going to follow him, I can't stop every time I let go of something else. Amen. That's going to help me on my journey following him. If I'm going to follow him, i got to take the form, hope that's to it, and he'll set my path for the activity and the functionality. I close with this. Stand with me. Because listen, folks, when you deny the power, you deny the activity and the functionality of, that's intended for that form, you start to jeopardize much in your life when you deny the activity. Because take the person using that aerosol can as lighter fluid. Look it up on the Internet. It's not happy stories. The ones that have, you know, someone says, oh, this would be cool. Let's throw it in the fire. 
if you look real closely, idiot is on their forehead. Why? Because whenever you deny the functionality and the activity that's associated with the form, you jeopardize things in your life. John said like this, John 8, 12, and I'll close with this. And I might preach about following me next week because I'm really not done with it. But I'm not going to guarantee that. I'm going to leave you in limbo. That way you'll still show up. John 8 and verse 12. The Bible says this. He said, then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, look at this. He said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Bible speaks about him being the light and in him is no darkness at all so if we walk in the light as he is in the light we'll have fellowship one with another if you're walking supposedly following quote unquote him and darkness is still encroaching in your life I ask you have you went back and are you bidding something farewell at your house and just going for one last embrace because there shouldn't be no darkness it might be on the skirts but it shouldn't be encroaching are you memorializing something from the past have you said I will but first let me follow him today follow him today you're going to follow anybody. Because see, I really concentrate tonight on following him. But I might linger on to about following leaders and following the churches. But follow him. And don't follow anything that's not following him. Don't entangle your life with anything that's not following him. There's a good rule of thumb for what you follow, what you pursue in life. Are those things pursuing him? If so, the destinies are vastly different. Hallelujah. Can we bow our heads in this place right now? I have felt the Holy Ghost in this place. My God. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.